So if you guys want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. And I know Julie's downstairs, but shout out to her too. If you guys looked at the bulletin, made me so happy when I saw that she put Star Wars on there. When she saw that it was the trap, that's instantly what I think of too, is it's a trap. But so yeah. <laughs> so have you guys ever been called out by someone before? Someone sees the way you're acting, and they know that's not what you should be doing, and they call you out. How does that make you feel? Kind of gives you that sinking feeling in your gut. If you're like me, you start pushing back and be like, no, 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 no. These are the reasons why I'm right, and you're, not, and you're wrong for calling me out. You want to push back. You don't like that feeling of being told you're wrong, and that you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. And this is kind of where we're getting with Romans chapter 3. A little bit before this in 2, Paul wrote to the Jewish Christians because them and the Gentile Christians at the time were actually fighting over what it meant to be a Christian. So the Apostle Paul kind of ripped into the Jewish Christians saying, hey, you guys are focusing way too much on the literal laws and not on what it truly means to be a Christian. You're focusing on the laws rather than the heart. You're focusing on your head rather than the heart. And it kind of let those Jewish Christians feel kind of they were a little bit superior, they're a little bit better than the Gentile Christians. But Paul pointed out the hypocrisy that they had there. And they started fighting back, and in Romans chapter 3, we kind of get Paul kind of addressing some of the comebacks, and, but also building them back up, because when you feel called out, you kind of feel defeated. You kind of feel like, I kind of want to sink into a couch or into a blanket and just kind of hide away and escape from the world. So, starting in verse 1, then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles or the words of God. Paul used a common teaching approach here from that time. He put himself in the shoes of the listeners. What better way to relate with what you're saying to your audience than putting yourself in their shoes? He's essentially asking this question that they're thinking, so there's no advantage to the biblical religion we've been following for centuries. If you remember, the Jewish Christians are following the Old Testament. And they're kind of thinking after Paul said that, well, does that mean that the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore? The Old Te And that's kind of what it seemed like to Paul, that he was throwing out the Old Testament. But he's saying, that's not what I'm saying. The Old Testament still has value. The Old Testament is still there for a reason. They're God's word. So I'm not throwing it out, but what I'm saying is something else. I'm saying, and the, they're also saying the the word of God is an incredible gift to those, those Jewish Christians. They know the history. They know what happened. They know where the Israelites came from. And it's a good thing, and the Old Testament has tremendous value. They were the ones that received God's word. As we continue forward into verse 3, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, through every, though everyone were a liar, as it is written that you may be justified in your words 
and prevail when you are judged. So then we get Paul's next question. Haven't the words of God failed? There are so many who haven't believed Jesus what happened to the promises. The Jewish believers were looking at their people and struggling with God's covenants with them. Weren't they the chosen ones? Why had they been, why had the majority rejected God? Shouldn't they have all naturally believed in Jesus? What did this mean? Did this mean God had failed? They're starting to question what's going on because now all of a sudden there's these new Christians, these Gentiles that are coming in with these Jews and they're mixing with the faith. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. We're supposed to be God's chosen ones. Remember all of the history? God followed us. He helped us through the desert. He helped us through this and this and this. We're God's chosen ones. We're supposed to be better. And then Paul responded by putting the blame for that on sinful man. Just as the men and women of the Old Testament time and time again fell away from God, rejecting his teachings, they were still doing that again. But they did not stop God's kingdom from advancing. God's going to advance his kingdom one way or another, whether it's through you or through someone else. So if those Jewish Christians were too stuck in their ways and wanted the religion side, God's like, well, I'm going to have to go another path then. I'm going to have to use people who are willing to be used. I'm starting in verse 5 now. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way, by no means. For then, how could God judge the world? The next question Paul looks at, if sin reveals God's holiness, then how is it fair for God to punish and judge people for doing something that God can reveal his holiness through? If sin lets God's holiness be revealed, then why are we getting punished for sin? For letting God show his glory. And Paul shot that down real quick. Because if there is one thing the Jewish believers agreed with him about, it's that God should judge sin. You see it throughout the history of the Old Testament. God judges the sin of the Israelites. So they knew that. They knew that that was something that needed to happen. And they agreed with that. So what does that mean? How does sin reveal holiness? How does imperfection reveal perfection? I have here on me a watch. It's an EcoDrive watch. What that means is it's solar-powered, it's light-powered, the light charges the battery, and then it keeps it going. So if I don't wear this for a little bit, and I kind of leave it in the room, leave it in the dark, over time it's going to slow down, the battery's going to slowly die, and it's going to get slower and slower. And then let's say one day, like a week or so later, I pick up the watch, put it on, look at it, and it's a couple minutes slow. Then I happen to go over to the headquarters where coordinated time is kept, where universal time is kept. And I walk up to the clock, and I'm like, hey, my watch says it's different. Your time's wrong. Your clock's wrong. What does that show? 
it shows that I can't set my watch. I just picked up my watch, didn't really pay attention to what the time was, and left. And trusted that my watch was right. That's kind of where we're at. We're trusting that we, flawed humans, our watch is right. So we do what we want, and then we mess up. God's perfectness, the universal clock, shows, hey, that's not right. Kind of makes us thankful for that universal clock or for God because it keeps us on track. Verse 7, but if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. So he goes through it again. You can't justify your sin. It's a trap. It's a trap. Trying to find a reason why your sin is okay. Because the world says it's okay, because the world says this is accepted, that it's okay. Even though it goes against what the Bible says, because the majority accept it, it's good. That's not true. And Paul quickly throws that down, throws it away. He says, their condemnation is just. Their punishment for their sin, even though they're trying to justify it, is right. So as we look through that passage again, there's three things I want to get out of this. First one, God's words are a gift. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way to begin with, Jews were entrusted with the oracles or the words of God. Doesn't matter Old Testament, New Testament. They're all the Bible. They all have a purpose. They're all written down for a reason. Just because Jesus came and died on the cross for us, doesn't make the Old Testament where all the laws for the sacrifices and everything like that, doesn't make those less important. There's, there's temptation at times to put all of our focus on the New Testament, to be dismissive of the Old Testament because it gets confusing, it gets overwhelming, especially if you're reading through like Leviticus where it's all these laws and for this sin and this sacrifice happens and this happens and this happens, but on this day, this happens instead, and it can get confusing. So our human nature would be like, okay, let's just skip over that. That doesn't really mean anything. That's the old ways. God, Jesus died on the cross. That doesn't matter anymore. It's very easy to do that, but it still has its importance. There are still the very words of God and to neglect the Old Testament would be to ignore the gift that God has given us. We can still learn from what the Israelites did. So what are you doing to study that? How are you studying the Old Testament? Do you skip over it? Or do you read into it? Do you study it? The second thing, God is reliable. What if some were unfaithful? Does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? 
By no means let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Verse 4, Paul said, let God be true. God is completely reliable. We can depend on him for anything, especially carrying out his promises to us, which was one of the concerns of the, those Jewish Christians. We're the chosen ones. Has God abandoned us? Our failures do not diminish God's faithfulness to us. That's a message that Paul hammers in this message. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. For he cannot deny himself. God is faithful through it all to us. No matter what we do, he is there for us. In our small groups, we're going through Psalms 23. Even though I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, he is still there with you. The Jews relied on their heritage. They relied on their history. Instead of putting all of their trust and all of their confidence in God, they relied on the past rather than what God had planned for the future. These same Jewish Christians that were so excited about having the Old Testament and saying, isn't this not, is this, are you saying it doesn't mean anything anymore? Happen to forget their history, though, on what God showed them time and time again would happen if they didn't follow God. They will wander through the desert because they didn't trust God. When they became their nation, they would become powerful, they would start worshiping other idols, and God would judge them and they would fall. They would come back, they would come back and they would fall. They forgot all of that. God will judge you. He will, there will be punishment for doing wrong. We're going through a series on Wednesday nights over pain. And one of the points from this last sermon was, sometimes your pain will come because it's a punishment for your sin. There is punishment for messing up. There is judgment if you don't follow God. But it doesn't just end there. Jesus came, he died on the cross, he took the place for our sins. Our salvation comes through Jesus. It doesn't come through the history, it doesn't come through our past. God redeemed our past. He is faithful through it all. The last point, rationalizing sin is a trap. But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? 
And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. I don't know if you guys have been like me before, but I've tried rationalizing my own sin. I've tried coming up with excuses for why I've done what I've done. But all that does is it takes you down a hole. It takes you and pulls you further away from God because it becomes easier to sin at that point. As you start rationalizing a little thing, oh, it's just one little lie. Not a big deal. It becomes easier to rationalize something later and later and later and later. We went through a series uh, several months ago about darkness. If darkness slowly creeps in, you're not going to notice. If it slowly becomes darker and darker and darker, you're becoming desensitized to that light change. You're not going to notice it's getting darker because it's happening little by little. And that's the same thing that's going to happen if you rationalize sin. If you start giving into what the world says is true, what the world says is okay, what the world says is right, as we can see over the last several years, stuff that the world says is okay goes against what God says is right. But because the world says it's okay, it slowly gets more and more and more. And that slowly creeps its way into the church because we're not taking a stand against our sin. We're trying to rationalize what we do. James 1, verses 14 through 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The desire to be enticed means thinking and dwelling on something that we are tempted by. The longer you deal with the temptation, the easier it becomes to rationalize it. The easier it becomes to come up with excuses for why it is okay. As desire builds, we start making more and more excuses, start thinking, making it not a big deal, it's just a little thing, it's just this one time. We make a couple compromises, and it just gets worse and worse. The more we think about it, the more comfortable we get with the bad decision. And deep down, we know it's a bad decision. And James writes that it ultimately leads to death. Rationalizing sin will cause you pain. And Paul reacted to the Romans and said that their, even their attitude of rationalizing should be judged because it reveals a heart that isn't focused on God. It's focused on your own desires. If you guys want to come up and uh, do that last song again. Every single one of us at one point has probably found ourselves in this place of rationalizing our sin. Has been caught in that trap of, it's just this one time, it's not affecting anyone else. It's just affecting me. It's not a big deal. And that's why we need our friends. We need our family. We need this church. 
to be close and to be together. Because you might not see what you're doing to yourself, but your friends will see. Your friends will see what you're going through. Your friends won't have a problem calling you out on your sin. They won't have a problem calling you out on you rationalizing what is going on. That your heart isn't focused on God. It's a dangerous trap that we put ourselves in, and you can easily avoid it. You can easily avoid getting to that point of rationalizing sin if you have, we talk about this a lot in youth, an accountability partner, an accountability buddy, as Liz says. Someone who is there for you no matter what. They're not going to judge you because they look out for what is best for you. They have your best interest in heart. They want you to follow God with all that you have. In this day and age, we need to be very careful with rationalizing sin. It can lead you down a very dark path. It can lead you away from God quicker than you could ever imagine. Just because the world says it's okay doesn't mean it's okay. God gave us his word as a gift for a reason so that we can learn how to be closer to God that we can stay away from the sin in our lives to remind us that God is reliable he is there for us no matter what even when we do mess up he is still there for us which is not an excuse to mess up it is not an excuse to sin that is a very easy way of rationalizing your sin well God's going to be there he's going to forgive me it's okay And that's not right. That's not the way we should view sin. We should not rationalize our sin. We need to pursue God with everything that we have. God, we thank you for this message. Lord, we thank you for this reminder to not rationalize our sin. It is something that can be very hard to do. It can be something that can easily pull us in. But it is dangerous. It is extremely dangerous for us. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on you, Lord, to trust in you and what you have for us. To dig into your word, to study your word, to trust on you when things get hard, when times seem tough. Help us to be that friend to people that calls them out. As bad as it might feel, we need that in our lives. We need someone who's not scared to call us out, who's not scared about what the pushback might be from us. Because it is something that we need in our lives.